All right. Um, I'm really excited about this text. Um, part of it is Josh has helped with that in setting expectations really, really low. Um, <laughs> because when you only preach once every few weeks, you kind of have a few weeks to kind of like give it your best shot. And um, when you have an evening, <laughs> but I'm not here to actually set expectations low. I, uh, Mark shared that he was unwell and we of course prayed for him and please keep him in prayers, in your prayers. It sucks to be sick, right? But um, also, I thought, okay, I was away for community group this week, so I don't know actually what the text is this week. I should have a look. And as I did, I was like, oh, I need to put my hand up for this before Josh does. Because um, I'm quite excited for it. So uh, let's see what the Spirit has for us today. Um, thank you so much for praying for me, Kirsty. Uh, may in God's kindness we uh, hear the truth of the word here. May I preach it faithfully. Uh, may I not utter, utter a false word about it. Um, we're really here to know God better and to glorify him. And as Josh highlighted, right at the end here, we get to joy. Because the disciples filled with joy. Even if you're listening to the passage, um, circumstances aren't necessarily great. They're being driven out of the city um, and they're filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. So we'll get to that joy, but we'll also find as we go along, joy and joy and joy, more reasons to find joy. And so what, what I want to do here is set the scene. Um, because we are kind of skipping through Acts, going to where we see the Holy Spirit um, acting overtly and, and singled out and named as the one at work here, uh, we are skipping over some of the cool stuff that happens in between. Um, last week, last week, the, uh, we have a whole bunch of people, uh, diverse Christians in Antioch, at the church in Antioch. They're worshipping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit says, all right, great, give me Paul and Barnabas, and I'm going to, I've got a job for them. And so we, uh, Mark preached on listening to God and following his, in, his direction um, when it is clear and when it is unclear. And so then in the interim, uh, since then, from verses uh, 6 to um, 43, because we started at 44 now, they've gone from place to place preaching the word. And they're going to synagogues wherever they can. They want, they want to show their fellow Jew that Jesus is who you're waiting for. Um, check him out. And praise God, everywhere they go, people come to know Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing. But we also get an example of a sermon here. And we get so many sermons in Acts. By my count, at this stage, we're at eight sermons. We actually had a lot more than eight sermons. Um, people are preaching all the time. We get eight sermons that we actually get written down for us in Acts, and it's really cool. And so we get to see how are they trying to reach people, how are they evangelizing to people, and seven of the eight so far are to Jews, and one so far is to Gentiles. And so to the Jews, they go back into the Old Testament and then go, hey, you already know God made these promises to us. You already know we're waiting for a promised king. You already know this and this and this, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. And it's awesome. And so no wonder they're going to the Jews first. It's, they're ready for it. They've been set up through all of history to receive Jesus and to discover who he is. Contrast that with the, the sermon to the Gentiles. is like, so there's this guy, Jesus. Um, he did miraculous things. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead. He's going to come back. And praise God, heaps of Gentiles were like, oh, awesome. Jesus sounds great. Forgiveness of sins found in him, sweet. 
And it's really miraculous that God can work in that way without centuries upon centuries of groundwork, setting them up. They're not waiting for Jesus, but they see the need for Jesus and they receive him. But Jesus is first for the Jews. And that's what we see in the passage here. Um, in verse 42. Actually, I'm going, to set, I'm going to lay a little bit more groundwork for the, for the passage that we just had. So we have this awesome sermon, and this sermon is being preached at the synagogue. It's preached specifically to the Jews. They start, uh, men of Israel and you who fear God. So Jews and people who are converted to Judaism. And this is our sermon to you. And at the end, um, the locals beg them, stick around, come back and say the same thing next week. They're like, all right, we'll stick around to the next Sabbath and we'll come say the same thing next week. And they come back the next week and almost the whole city is there. And this is not a Jewish city. This is mostly a Gentile city. So it's a lot of Gentiles rocking up. Word has spread. This is a great message. And they are here to hear it. And that sets the scene for where we come in. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, the word here is sort of more pointing towards the Jewish leaders, uh, the maybe rulers of the synagogue, um, saw the crowds that were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, first to the Jews. So I want to dig into that a little bit more. We see how the history is important there, that these are the people to whom, that have the history who are waiting for Jesus um, even if they don't know Jesus is the one they're waiting for. But we also see, um, we see this reinforced elsewhere in Scripture. We see Jesus in Matthew um, say when he sends his disciples out, uh, before he is, he is resurrected, he sends his disciples out earlier on on a bit of a mission, go town to town, tell them pre preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, um, avoid the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, just go to the lost sheep of Israel. And then later on in Matthew, I believe it's later on, I might have them back to front. No, later on in Matthew, um, a Canaanite woman, she's not a Jew, she'd be a Gentile, um, comes to Jesus and uh, asks for his help. And first thing he says to her is, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I want us to understand this because it helps us understand here why Paul and Barnabas say um, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. When Jesus is singling out the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel, to receive him first, and that he himself, his ministry is only to them, it is not to the exclusion of us. It is not to the exclusion of Gentiles across the world. But it's actually, he is going to first fulfill the promise to this specific people. God owes us nothing. Absolutely nothing. And in his perfect justice, we can come to the end of our lives and stand before him at judgment and be judged fairly for all that we've done and haven't done. And that is justice and that is good. But in Jesus, we have God's mercy. In Jesus, we are welcomed into a promise that God made to a specific group of people, which he had no obligation to do. He's obligated, of course, to fulfill his promises. He knows how he's going to fulfill those promises when he makes them. And so he made this promise to Abraham that I'm going to um, bless you, multiply your children, and bless all people through you. And made this promise to Moses that as long as you walk, you and your people walk beside me, 
I will walk with you. And made this promise to David that I'm going to raise up a king in your bloodline whose throne will be eternal. And so these promises, are, God didn't have to make these promises. So we see in Jesus the fulfillment of all of these promises um, burst to the Jews. And so it's only fair that they kind of receive the opportunity first to say, yes, I'm up for that. And we, if you want to read more about this, Paul has heaps to say about it. In Romans verses nine, uh, chapters 9 to 11, there's three chapters, he has heaps to say about it. He starts chapter 9 saying, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the sake of my brothers. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The Israelites receive the promises. We are Israelites, not we, but, but, but Paul writing this, right? Um, Jesus was an Israelite, the one through whom we are saved. And so it grieves him that there are Israelite people who are not receiving Jesus. I think I've talked about before, we've talked about before in the term, um, that when, when the Israelite people receive Jesus, it's a bit different to the rest of the world receiving Jesus because they're already waiting for him. They're already, and they're like, like, oh, this is just what you're waiting for. And I don't want to downplay the significance of it. They receive the Holy Spirit, and that is huge. And they initiated into Christianity in baptism. So they know that this is something different, but they're not converts to something new. They're receiving the fulfillment of what they were already promised. And so for people to be excluded from that, that sounds, that doesn't sound great, does it? But for people to be excluded from that promise that seems like it was given to them, that's heartbreaking. That's what upsets Paul in Romans here. But then we see here in Acts, as Paul continues, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Um, <clears throat> Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we see this unpacked more in Romans chapters 9 to 11 as well, that uh, because, people, because the people to whom the promise was given uh, said, no thanks, don't want their eternal life, even though they didn't say it in so many words, they've, they've rejected God's fulfillment of the promise, and God in his kindness has brought other people in to receive that promise as well. And it's a wonderful thing because it means we, maybe we do have some Jews here, but by and large, I think we're not. And we receive that promise as well. Paul talks about us being um, branches grafted into the vine. Uh, we weren't part of the vine originally, but God has grafted us in. And it is in his kindness. It is not out of our goodness or anything like that. It is God's kindness to us that we are grafted in. So what we've got to understand is that this is a joyous thing. This is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, a kind thing, that God owes us nothing, that if God did nothing with us and didn't relate to us at all, justice would be done and all would be fair and that'd be, that'd be okay. But instead, each and every one of us who is in Jesus already has this. Each and every one of us here who is not in Jesus has the opportunity hanging right in front of you to take it. In Jesus, we have eternal life with God. In Jesus, we are the recipients 
of God's promise to his people from centuries and centuries and centuries ago. People waited for generations and generations and generations for the fulfillment of this, and Jesus fulfilled it and invites us all into it. And so we see that response as well from the Gentiles here. Um, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Um, I do want to jump to two, two more scriptures that uh, highlight this, I think, really nicely. Uh, they're, they're in a church in Antioch in Pisidia. Now, they started this missionary journey in a church in Antioch, but it's a different Antioch. That's, that's in Syria. Antioch in Pisidia is in, in modern-day Turkey. They've traveled from city to city um, already, and now they're in what is modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Galatia. So this is a church that receives the, Galatian, the letter to the Galatians, our book of Galatians in the New Testament, um, among other churches as well. And this is, that letter was probably written only about uh, three years after uh, Paul's visit here at the beginning. Isn't that a cool connection? So to look at Galatians and see what Paul says about um, it, uh, in Galatians 3, 28 to 29, Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, Greek often means Gentile here. It was sort of, um, we've talked before about how if you weren't a Jew, you were Greek in that region. And so this Greek means Gentile here. Um, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. He's highlighting there that we are all just as much as the people in the synagogue as to God's promise to Abraham. How wonderful is that? And the other thing I want to highlight here is, is when uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas here are quoting of, uh, of the Old Testament in verse 47. They say, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let me um, quickly go to, that is from Isaiah 49. Um, verse 6, and there's a, a fleshes it out a little bit more here. Isaiah, the prophet who speaks a lot about Jesus, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I think that brings even more clarity there. It's too light a thing, it's too small a job for the one I'm sending to just bring back Israel. He's to bring back people from the ends of the earth. How wonderful is that? And so even though Jesus was ministering specifically to the lost sheep of Israel, we have clarity and certainty here. We are, of course, also included. And we did see that a couple of weeks ago when the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles who hear Peter preach, and Peter goes, wow, uh, we need some water. We need to get baptizing people because we, people are being saved here. So that's awesome. The Gentiles rejoice uh, here in verse 48, and they receive, uh, they receive the blessing of eternal life. Now, this is an interesting verse, and I'm, I'm not going to dig deep into it, but I'm going to touch on it because it's a question that the text asks, and uh, I think we should answer it. Um, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's a bit of a tricky one. 
Yeah. So to be really clear, he's talking about something that we call, some, some people call, we like to put labels on things, don't we? Predestination. God has set out who is going to receive Jesus and uh, as part of his plan that they do. There's this tension here for a lot of people when they first kind of encounter this in the word. If God is sovereign and choosing who gets saved, what is actually my responsibility? And some people go, no, no, we have free will and we have personal responsibility. I need to somehow diminish the sense of God's sovereignty there. And so I'm not going to try and resolve that tension now. I think I can. I, I, I've settled it in my heart and I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards. But it's, it's not a biblical conversation. It's not from, or this verse explains it and this passage explains it. It's more like a philosophical one. And so I may well be wrong and I'm not going to preach from that uh, from that idea here. What I will give you is um, God is 100% sovereign, chooses who will be saved, chooses what we'll do. We are accountable and responsible and have agency over what we will do. These things are 100% true. If you can't resolve this tension, then you still need to accept that they're both true. Because anything less than that is unbiblical. Um, and so I just think when we encounter something like those who are appointed to eternal life believe, we need to understand God really is sovereign over everything. And, it, and there is encouragement here. It is awesome, actually, because it means no matter how hopeless someone's case seems, we can pray for them. It means no matter what someone is going through, we can pray for them, Lord, please save this person. And he can. And if he doesn't, they will face fair justice. And if he does, to receive the mercy of God, to be grafted into this, into this vine, all oh, the joy be saved, not of our own cleverness or strength or even our circumstances, but by the goodness of Jesus. As something to rejoice over, isn't it? And it means, Mark last week highlighted two kinds of people. One was sort of the kind of person who, um, I was watching from that side, he, he's, he put it over here. <laughs> now I mixed them up. No, no, no. Okay, so, so this is a person who, who leans maybe too much on the sovereignty of God and to the point where they may be almost passive. I have mixed them up, but anyway. If you lean too much on the sovereignty of God, you may come to a, a, a position of passiveness, of, I don't need to do anything. If God wants to make it happen, it will happen. And Mark specifically addressed the other kind of person who's more anxious about trying to find their way into the will of God. If I'm not like doing everything right, um, you know, I've, I'm... If I'm doing the wrong thing or if I'm not doing the right thing or something like that, then I'm not going to be in the will of God. How do I figure out how to be in the will of God? Um, how do I do this right? And I'm taking too much responsibility on themselves to be moving in the will of God. And so Mark's encouragement was to this person to trust in God's sovereignty, that if you're looking to him and you're not actively disobeying him, you're actually right where God wants you, and that's okay. And if, if you're the kind of person that, that really uh, feels you need to hear that, um, go check out Mark's sermon. It wasn't all about that, but it was, that was part of it, and um, it was really good.
And so to me, the way I'd, I'd separate these two people, uh, this is a person who says, my responsibility, um, my autonomy, my uh, accountability, um, I believe in that instead of God's sovereignty. And then the passive person, I think if, if Mark was here today, he'd probably address the, address the passive person uh, because he didn't last week. Um, the passive person is God's sovereignty over everything, um, so I don't believe in the accountability. You've got to take them both. And one doesn't diminish the other. And so what it means is we can confident that we are in God's will, that, he's, that we can't uh, mess with God's plans or anything like that. We can get up in the morning and pray to God and thank God and kind of put on our salvation and walk out the door instead of just sitting at home. And we can do what it seems wise to us to do prayerfully. And we can, we can see opportunities to serve. God's sovereignty means he is at work in spite of us or with us. And for the person who does, who's not trusting in God's sovereignty, um, God is at work in them in spite of their awareness of whether they're in God's will or not. And for the person who is trusting too much, is all in on sovereignty and not on accountability, God is working through them in spite of their passivity. But how much better to be working with God, walking with God, and to step out and just glorify God in all that we do. And so that's what I want to encourage us towards there. Because we see that in the apostles. We see that they stepped out in mission here and um, at like a specific really clear word from God. I think even the, the passive sovereignty person, if they hear a really clear word from God, they're like, oh, okay, well, God's told me that I have to, and, and they'll do it. But often we see the apostles kind of just like not knowing where to go. We looked at this last week as well. And so just going here, is this okay? God directs them elsewhere. Okay, that wasn't okay. That's all right. We see this in the apostles um, and not just the apostles, we see this in like um, in everyone we see on mission in Acts. They are walking actively in the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. Just to kind of bring that home, um, Jesus said in Luke 16, we need to deal shrewdly with what God has given us. Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus said to multiply the investment God has made in us. He's not talking about money specifically, he's talking about everything uh, that he's given us. Uh, We're told to pray persistently again and again and again, even when God doesn't answer our prayer right away, even though God already knows what we're going to pray before we prayed it the first time. All right. Paul says in Philippians 2, to work out our salvation. And in Hebrews 12, we're told to run with endurance the race set before us. We're called to action. So the Bible clearly doesn't call us to passivity. Um, but it also clearly calls us, clearly highlights that God is sovereign over all things. And what a huge comfort that is. We can't stuff it up. It's okay. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Praise God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Praise God. That's awesome. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Praise God. Uh, but the Jews incited the devout women and it's not saying all jews it's i've had a conversation with someone actually a few years ago about uh the new testament about acts specifically i think and he 
maybe being from Germany uh, kind of uh, gave him a, a special sensitivity to this. He is, he said the Bible seemed very anti-Semitic to him. So it's worth understanding um, that the apostles are all Jews. Jesus is a Jew. This is a, we Christians believe this is the fulfillment of Judaism given to us by Jews who also believe that this is the fulfillment of Judaism. So when, so I understand when you kind of see uh, this um, describing the Jews as being in opposition, it, it doesn't have that sensitivity, it doesn't have that background, because the, these are Jews giving us these words, um, by and large. And um, what they're saying is, those of us who have not received Jesus stood in opposition to us. I think maybe that's helpful for when sharing with someone else as well, when you read the Bible to a non-Christian um, or even to a Jew. Um, so, uh, but the Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Um, but we saw that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Isn't that awesome? And so the disciples, they leave, they shake off their, the dust from their feet. They're like, all right, um, we're done here. And they're not condemning the town by any means. They will come back. Um, Paul's going to write to them soon. But uh, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And there, there are a few things I want to highlight with that joy with the Holy Spirit. Um, one is that the joy and the Holy Spirit aren't like two things that came side by side. The joy came from the Holy Spirit. I think Josh and I talked about it a little bit earlier. Where we see elsewhere, when, when, when the Holy Spirit is paired with something um, good, filling them up, it's the, the Holy Spirit giving them that thing. When someone's full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit, their wisdom has come from the Holy Spirit. When they're full of joy in the Holy Spirit, that joy has come from the Holy Spirit. Uh, when that joy is not a circumstantial joy, they're, they're stoked, absolutely, that the Word of God is spreading here. They're not stoked that they're being kicked out. Either way, it doesn't matter for their joy in their salvation, eternal life secured for them, um, and the privilege of participating with God in the growing of his kingdom. Isn't that awesome? And so one way we can look at this is that uh, when you're in Jesus, you're a Christian, and you understand what Jesus has done for you, and you understand what is set out before you by the work that Jesus alone has done, there is joy. It is great. It is bigger and better than anything else that can impact our lives. And so one way to think of it is that our joy isn't circumstantial. It's not impacted, hopefully, too much by our jobs, by our family life, by our aspirations, our hopes that aren't being met in this life. But I think another way to look at it is our joy is still circumstantial. Understand the circumstance above all circumstances, Jesus has secured our eternal lives in him. Jesus has saved us. We have God's Holy Spirit. These are the circumstances in which every other circumstance occurs. You know what I mean? So we're not separating what is happening now from um, a cool notion 
that should give us excitement and hope and joy for the future. But we're actually understanding is, no, this is, the, this is the big picture we're in. We are still in Jesus. We still have this hope in him. And we can still count on it being uh, fulfilled. We're still looking forward to Jesus' return and him raising us up. If we've died before he returns, we probably will. People have thought they were the last generation for generations. Um, we can look forward to being with Jesus. How wonderful is that? And when that is reality to us, when we really understand it to be true, it's not, that's not separated from our circumstances. It's the circumstance that contextualizes all our circumstances. I hope that's helpful. Um, our joy then, this kind of joy, is one of the superpowers of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes called gifts, we're talking about what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think another way to look at them is superpowers of the Holy Spirit. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're gifts that we think we can get elsewhere as well. I get joy at, I don't know, when I'm playing a video game. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> what are the other gifts of the Spirit? We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I was singing a song in my head that Daniel loves to listen to, and he knows them just as well as I do. That's from Galatians, by the way. That's from a letter written to this same church as well, just three years later. Um, but what makes these superpowers, rather than just like circumstantial, uh, yeah, sort of like the, the regular gifts, the regular experiences of patience because someone is having a good day, rather than patience because they're in Jesus. You know? Um, what else have we got? Self-control because things are going all right, rather than self-control because no matter what faces them, they have eternity with God. And because God's goodness is above everything else. And an understanding that God's instruction to us is his goodness to us. There's, so that's what makes these gifts of the Spirit superpowers. To understand that there's no substitute for these gifts to be found somewhere else apart from the Spirit. But rather, we should only find them in the Spirit. And when we do, we still experience these sort of circumstantial mini-versions of, of gifts, but as God's kindness to us. Thank you, Lord making it easy for me to be patient today rather than hard for me to be patient today. Thank you, God, for protecting me from temptation when maybe I wouldn't have had the self-control. Thank you, God, for your kindness to me. These, these super-powered gifts are God's goodness to us. And we see these gifts fulfilled in Jesus. So Galatians 5, 22 to 23, I'll read those gifts again. I wouldn't call it a comprehensive list of all the gifts. I wouldn't call it a ranked list of all the gifts. Someone who has spent more time in these might go, oh, actually, here are reasons that we can actually rank them or call it comprehensive. I'm just, I'm just bringing a list that I read in the Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus did all of these perfectly, even though we won't. We see Jesus' love in him dying on the cross for us. No greater love has anyone than this, that someone would die for their friends said Jesus in John. We see peace, the silence with which he faced his peril. Silent like a lamb. We see his patience as he taught faithless people. We see Jesus' kindness as he healed. We see it today as we are grafted into, into the vine. When Paul writes in Romans about being grafted into that vine, he says it's God's kindness to us as well. We see Jesus' goodness in everything he does. 
all that he does is good. We see his faithfulness in following through on all of the promises of God. All throughout the whole Old Testament, any claim he made as well of his own, he's followed through on and we can count on for the future. We see his gentleness in how he treated the sick, the lost, the weak, and even the people who arrested him on the night he was betrayed, healing someone's ear as they were trying to arrest him. We see his self-control in his spotless life. It is easy to imagine that Jesus, being God, didn't have to exercise self-control, but we read that he, was, he faced every temptation and that he faced them perfectly and spotlessly. And so even though we don't uh, execute on these gifts, we don't bear these fruits perfectly, Jesus did. And I skipped joy because that's the focus for today. Back to Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is, being set, that is set before us. That's that call to action, right? Even though God is sovereign, run the race, run it with endurance. And how do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for this joy that Jesus endured the cross. That was his reward. He delights in saving people from all nations, his creation, of gathering his people together, and of being seated on high. He, even though he was deserving of that glory from the beginning of time without having done anything besides created everything, he inserted himself into creation and saved it. And for that, he's seated even higher. What a great joy he had set before him and what a great suffering he endured in pursuit of that joy and in pursuit of our joy. So when we talk about joy and enduring for that joy, it is not so that we can secure our joy in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus has already done it. Jesus already endured the cross. Jesus already took on the punishment for our sins, which he didn't deserve. So he set the example, but also did what we couldn't do and made it so that we have our own joy set out before us. And all we need to do is believe in him, our King Jesus. That's it. It's easy and it's simple and it's light. And I say that knowing that some people are going through a lot. I say that knowing that some people are sick, some people can't find work, some people have things, desires on their heart that aren't being fulfilled. However long this season is, the joy that Jesus has won for you is greater. However hard this moment is, the joy that Jesus has won for you is greater. And so when we find it hard to feel that joy, we can look to Jesus. We can pray to Jesus. Who knows what we're going to pray before we pray it, but says to pray it anyway. God, help me find my joy in you. Be my joy. Not that God has to do any more, not that he's owed us anything that he hasn't already given us, 
but he delights in us going to him and he who has already given his son will gladly give you eternal life that he has already won for you and the eternal joy with him. Our joy cannot be anchored in career success, cannot be anchored in a spouse who we won't even be married to in eternity. Our joy can't be anchored in our health, which will wane, or our prosperity, which will die with us. Our earthly legacy, it's a popular notion in the world, I think, that if I have lived this legacy, I achieved some kind of immortality, where people are still talking about me, or people are still impacted by me. And there's actually no life gained for you there, for us there. But we have eternity in Jesus. Actual eternity in Jesus. So may God help us anchor our joy in Him and His will and His glory. Let's rejoice in the kindness of God to call us His children. Let's rejoice in the privilege and comfort it is to be co-workers with the sovereign God over all. And let's rejoice in the promise of King Jesus who has already endured the cross and secured eternity for all who believe in him.